Good morning. It is good to be with you on Resurrection Sunday. This is a day I look forward to so much. Uh, I hope that you've been able to spend some time this week in thought about the Holy Week, about what Jesus had to go through. Uh, you know, there's a, a lot of tradition that goes through that and understanding exactly what Jesus went through uh, as he spent this week leading to Resurrection Sunday. There's the pain, there's the taking away of our Lord, there's the darkness that comes. And I have learned over the years is to let myself experience a lot of that so that I am so looking forward to this Sunday, I'm about to pop. Because I've got to get to the resurrection part. We've got to get to the resurrection part. But you got to go kind of deep down into the darkness to be able to appreciate it uh, the way that we need to. So we're going to spend some time on that today. Before we begin, I want to mention a couple of things. One is, uh, so grateful for the work that uh, Clark and Elsita, our children's ministers, had done uh, to set things up this morning downstairs. If you went through those stations, you saw there was all kinds of opportunities for you and your kids uh, to see some of the experiences uh, the witnesses that saw Jesus alive. And we really wanted more than anything is we want our families, our kids, our parents, we want you to know about the power of the resurrection and what happens. And so I'm so grateful for the work that they've done. They love your kids so much. And uh, they have really worked themselves uh, to the bone this weekend to make sure that they're ready. So uh, it was wonderful. And thank you. For all of you that served, uh, I'm looking out and I'm still seeing some uh, uh, pretend mustaches on some of you. You'll have to ask somebody what that is uh, if you want to find out what that is. But uh, that, that makes, uh, y'all might fall asleep. I'm not going to because uh, I see some of those mustaches on your faces. So, uh, Also wanted to mention one of the things that I, that I love too about this day for us is this is not just a day for us to come and consume. We, we got to bring something. So many servants that came to make sure that our kids see this and our families see what's going on with the resurrection. And in addition to that, we're doing a diaper drive for uh, the pregnancy center here in town. And uh, Friday, I believe, I went out there and did just kind of a little preacher count on that. And it looked like we had about 8,500 diapers that had been donated. Uh, yeah, that's great. Thank you for that. Um, and that was before today. So if you brought some today, we'll, we'll add those on there. We may end up with around 10,000 diapers to share with the pregnancy center. And that's about us saying, hey, we don't just come here to get. This is about us participating in the work of God, in his kingdom. This is about us being a part of this. And we love the fact that we have a pregnancy center here that is trying to make sure that these children, these unborn children, see life and get to know who the Savior is. But to do that, we need to make sure we support these moms that are having a hard time. Maybe they're having unexpected pregnancies. And so we want to be people that don't just preach at them. We want to be people who walk with them. And we want to be people who love them. And so this is our opportunity to say, on this day that celebrates new life, we get to bring something that helps support new life. And so thank you for being a part of that. I'm thankful we got to do that together. It's good for us to remember that we bring something when we come here. Uh, we're going to uh, go ahead and pray before we start. One of our traditions here is we pray for another church here in this town, and in particular on today when so many churches, we're all proclaiming the same things, that he is risen. So we're going to pray uh, before we begin. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, in this town of Kerrville, there are so many churches right now that are proclaiming he is risen from the grave. And Lord, we know that is no small thing. That is a mighty and powerful and unbelievable thing. And, Lord, we don't want to be uh, nonchalant about that. We don't want to make that small. We don't want to make that as something that we're used to. We don't want to diminish it in any way. It is huge. It is magnificent. It is unbelievable in so many ways, and yet we believe it. And so, Lord, we thank you that there are so many people proclaiming his resurrection this morning. 
Lord, I ask you to be with First Christian Church here in Kerrville and Josh DeSteiger and the proclamation that he will be making this morning, that you would give him uh, the words to say, that you would guide him as he proclaims your gospel, uh, that that church would be changed, and through that they would reach out into this community and they would tell others, and we would boldly let other people know about our Christ and who he is and what he's done. And through that, uh, more people will come to be set free and will know you. Bless their time this morning. Lord, bless our time this morning. And it's in the name of Jesus, the resurrected Savior, that we pray. Amen. Amen. So uh, if you're new to us or you're a guest here, uh, maybe you're new to religion, you're new to Christ, and you're doing some exploring, man, we are so glad you're here. Uh, but I want you to know we're, we're about to talk about some unbelievable things. We're about to talk about some things that are incredible, that may be beyond your capacity to believe right now, and that's okay. Because we want you to know it is that huge. It is that big of a deal. We're going to talk about unbelievable things that we actually believe. And because of that, it's changed everything for us. So I just want to say, if you would, just hang with me. I don't know if you've ever started a conversation where you had this great story to tell a friend, and you go, stay with me, stay with me. I'm about to tell you something. I don't want to lose you at the beginning when you hear something that's amazing, and I, and I lose you. So stay with us. Because we do believe this. It is everything to us. And the reason that it's so important, the resurrection of Christ, is because our faith is based on an event. It is based on something that happened. And because we believe that happened, it changes everything. It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ that is the solid foundation for us. It changed everything. It means everything. That event occurring didn't just occur out in the ether for it just to kind of be there to look at. It's not just out there in the air. The resurrection of Christ actually demands a response. Jesus did this in such a way that you're going to have to look at this and you're going to have to decide. Is this something that happened? Is Jesus Lord? And you got to decide one way or the other. It demands a response. And in particular, one of the reasons that it does is not just that we think it happened, but before it happened, we think Jesus called a shot. Right? I mean, it's one thing to have something amazing happen. It's another thing to call your shot and then have it happen. Jesus said, here's the deal. I'm going to die, and I'm going to be buried for three days, and then I'm coming back. And so when you say that ahead of time, and then you actually do that, this is no mistake, and it's no coincidence. In Matthew 16, verse 21, this is how clearly he said it said, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. That's about as clear as it gets. This is Jesus saying, here's what I'm going to do. And then the amazing thing is, is that he actually did it. It's a powerful thing because what it did, if you look out throughout history, even beyond the biblical text, is it changed this group of people from cowards who ran to bold preachers of the gospel. Something happened with these disciples who went and hid, and then all of a sudden they weren't hiding anymore. They were actually willing to come out and preach the gospel in such a bold way that they were willing to die over it. And make no mistake, what they were willing to die over is this event. Our Jesus went to the cross, he was dead for three days, and then he came back, and we saw it. And the reason, the fact that we saw it 
changed everything about us. It's what started a movement that continues to grow today is in the belief that this is not just something we say, it's something that actually occurred that people were willing to lay down their lives for. You know, it's amazing. I actually heard uh, there's a Japanese theologian named uh, Shisaku Endo. And one of the things that he said that I thought was really interesting is he said, if you don't believe in the resurrection, you will be forced to believe that something hit the disciples that was every bit as amazing. Maybe different, yet of equal force in its electrifying intensity. For if we try to explain the changed lives of the early Christians, you will find yourself making leaps of faith as great as if you believed in the resurrection to start with. That is a claim that says you have to understand there was something momentous. There was something huge that happened. Something that changed people's lives. Something that turned them from people that ran into people that stayed. Into people that were willing to die. And if you don't think it's a resurrection, then you have to believe in something else that's just as huge. And then you find yourself trying to figure out what that is and find out that it has to be the resurrection. For us, I want you to know again, if if you're new to us and, and you have to understand for us, it is such a big deal because everything's at stake in this. This idea that Jesus rose from the dead, I know a lot of times that people can come and go, hey, I think they believe this, and I think they believe that Jesus was here, and I think they believe that Jesus died. But you need to understand why we think it's so important that he was resurrected. As a matter of fact, the way Paul put it in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 13, 14, and then 17, 19, I I want you to hear this. This is what Paul says. If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. So is your faith. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, then we are of all people most to be pitied. This is the powerful statement that we have about the resurrection of Christ. This is why we make such a big deal about it today. What hangs in the balance and what is at stake in the fact that Jesus actually was raised from the dead is our forgiveness of sins, our salvation, our present, our future. Not only our present and future and our forgiveness, but those that have gone on before us, he says. All of this, we are to be a pitied people if this didn't happen. What an amazing statement to say. We're a bunch of pitiful folks if there was no resurrection because none of this means anything if there was no resurrection of Christ. That's why this is such a big deal. That's why this day matters so much, and that's why we can't get lackadaisical about this. Everything hangs on it. Everything hangs on the fact that our Christ is risen. So I want to talk to you about that. That brings us to our text today. And I know we jumped up to John 20. If you've been with us for the last several weeks, we started in the book of John, and we've been going through, and then we jumped to uh, the triumphant entry, and now here we are at the resurrection. It's like jumping to the end of the book. We're going to go back a little bit. I'm sorry we jumped to the end right here where you're going to find out how the story ends. I just want you to know there's a twist. Somebody important dies, but there's a twist. It's going to be okay. 
We'll go back and jump back into our, our study of John as we continue next week. But I want you to know that this, this scripture in particular that leads to the resurrection of Jesus in John is this amazing story. And there may be some things in here that we haven't looked at before that I really want us to be able to see. One is there's this urgency that happens. It's Sunday morning. There's been darkness. Saturday is Sabbath. So you can't go to the tomb. There's all the Jewish people who are stuck at home because it's Sabbath and you can't go. And then nighttime comes and you don't want to go to a tomb in nighttime. That's scary. And so early morning comes. And as the light starts to come up on Sunday morning, you have Mary who's so devoted and decides that she's going to go to the tomb. And she's going there to care for the body of Christ. And one of the things that happens in this is this urgency there. And Mary goes to the tomb. And then she sees that the stone is gone, and that's all that it says she knows. So then she runs back, and she tells Peter and John, the beloved disciple, who is the author of our book that we're looking at here, our witness who wrote the book of John. She goes and tells them, and then they run back to the tomb. And then as they get to the tomb, and for some reason John wants to make sure that we understand there was a race. I won. This is how you know that this is a guy, right? I'm sorry. I don't know anybody else who would do that is just to say, hey, we both ran. I just would like to mention I got there first, okay? So John gets there first. Peter runs past him. They look and see that the tomb's empty. They see the cloth lying there. It says that John even looks in, and when he sees the face cloth that was over the dead body, and he sees that it's laying there, that he went to believe. He became to believe. And so you have Peter and John at an empty tomb, and it says they believe. And then did you notice what happens next? There's this weird little statement in here. Then they went home. They went home. They went back to where they were. Peter and John encountered an empty tomb. It says that John believed. I don't know what all he believed, but their response was to go, so we went home. And you want to know how we know that they were home and that they stayed there? Because in just a few verses later, you'll see them in John 20, verses 19. If you're in your book there and you want to read a little past there, you can see in verse 19, it said, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, same day, same day where they saw it that morning, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them, and he said to them, peace be with you. So two guys who were disciples of Jesus, who heard him make his claims, came and see the empty tomb, and they go back home, and they lock the doors, and they hide. Because the Jewish leaders are after them. That was their response, is to go and hide. Now, I'm not going to be too hard on them. I don't know what I would, would have done with that. But I think it's very interesting that you have Peter and John and the rest of the disciples who would go back to their house and stand there. And don't forget, later we're going to find out they went back to fishing. They're struggling with this. They're trying to figure out. But here's the thing. Mary stayed. Because the next thing that you hear about is that Mary stayed in the garden. Mary stayed at the tomb. She began to weep. She lingered at the empty tomb. She abided there at the empty tomb. She decides that she has to be there. I don't know exactly why she stayed and she would weep at an empty tomb. I don't know exactly what was going through her heart during that time. But I know that her story is different because she did stay. She experiences something that others don't because she decided that she would linger there and that she would wait and that she would look for the risen Savior in some way. I don't even know if she could believe that. 
But you need to know she was not willing to go. Now, the devotion that she has has got to be huge. You need to understand, for Mary, everything just fell apart. She sees the stone rolled away. She goes and gets uh, Peter and John. She comes back. They look in. They leave. And she's stuck there. She's abiding there at this place. She's watching this tomb. Maybe she's remembering the first time that Jesus did call her. Maybe she's going through her head about her relationship, about how he saved her, about how he changed her in every single way. According to Luke, this is how Jesus originally met Mary in some way that we see. Luke 8, 1 and 2 says, After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. This is her history with Christ. He came and he healed her and he cast seven demons out. Now, you need to know, seven demons, the idea of talking about seven in Scripture, Jewish culture has a lot of meaning in different numbers. Seven is the number for completion, for fullness. So it's hard to know whether or not what he's saying is that she actually had seven different demons or if what he's saying is she had all of them. Everything. She was consumed in every way with demons. Everything that you can think of that would have to do with maybe anxiety and depression and anger, spirits that would fill her in such a way where she's destroying herself and everything around her, she was completely consumed by them. And that's what Jesus rescued her from. No wonder she stayed there. No wonder that she would stay there at the tomb, weeping, trying to figure out what is going on. She lingered. She remains she stayed and she sought the Lord at the best place that she could think of to do that. And that's there at this tomb. She's looking for answers. And so she ended up there in a garden looking at an empty tomb very intently. And here's the thing. She ended up there because we all do at some point. Everybody in this world at some point is going to have to end up at this place where they look at that empty tomb and you have to decide what happened. That's what will happen, we believe, at the end of time. All of us will answer that question, what happened at that empty tomb? Because this is really what matters. We're all going to have to look there, and we're going to have to make a decision. We're going to have to decide what happened there. I don't know why she lingered there. I don't know except to think that maybe she was still seeking from the last place she saw him. I imagine that she could have been somebody who was completely consumed with doubt and with confusion. It would make perfect sense. I want to say again, when we talk about the resurrection of Jesus, you do know we're talking about things that are unbelievable, yet that we believe happened. So you have to understand for her to be there and to be doubting and trying to figure out what in the world happened as she stares into that tomb she had a devotion to try and make some sense. Can I believe what he said when I followed him? Is the same man that delivered me from these demons, the same one who saved me, the same one who changed my life, is there something more to this than just this tomb? Is this the final place? Did somebody take his body? Has he been stolen? Has he been moved? Did the authorities come in and take him somewhere else? 
I know this was the last place that I saw him was when they were laying him in the tomb. What do I do with this? We're all destined to be at that place at some point, and we all have to ask ourselves that question. What do you do with the empty tomb? What are we going to do? Because here's the deal. If he is risen, then he's Lord. And if he's Lord, that has all kinds of implications to it. That demands something of us. And that's the unique thing about Jesus, is that when he said he was going to do this, and he claimed to be Lord, he didn't just claim to be somebody who was a good teacher. He claimed more than that. And so if he did raise from the dead, then he is Lord. And if he is Lord, then that changes everything. Everything. Such a great way for us. Let me tell you how I saw this one time, and it's so beautiful the way that it played out. I had this friend in Austin. There's an older man. His name's Jonathan. And he grew up uh, in the Jewish faith, fairly devoted in the Jewish faith. And he married a lady who was a member of our church. And he was Jewish, and she was a Christian. And she was blind. And so one of the things that he said was when they got married, he said, I'm going to make sure and I will take you to church. That'll be part of the deal. I'll always make sure. So he began to bring her to church years and years ago. And he would come in and he would sit with her and he'd go, I'm just here to, to, so that she'll be able to come to church. I don't believe this. That's okay. But then after many years, things began to change. He began to hear the stories of Christ. He began to hear the teachings. And I remember one of the things that would happen is I would come up to Jonathan on a fairly regular basis, and I'd sneak up to him, and I'd go, hey, where are you and Jesus these days? And he'd go, oh, you know, it's some good stories. There's some really neat stuff in there. I'd go, okay. And then after a couple of years, I'd come up again, and I'd go, hey, Jonathan, where are you and Jesus these days? And he goes, man, I love what that guy says. I love what he says. There's so much beauty in this. You can tell there's some truth in what he's talking about. Okay. A few years later, I come up and I would check with Jonathan. I go, where are you and Jesus these days? And he goes, man, I believe he said those things. You know, I believe that guy existed and that he said those things. That he was this great teacher, that he was full of love. I think I can even believe that he went to the cross for what he said. Like, okay. And then I remember one Sunday, he came up to me, and it was on an Easter Sunday years ago. And he came up and he asked after church, and he said, hey, so what are the rules about taking communion? And I asked him, and I said, Jonathan, did you want to take communion today? And he said, yeah, yeah, I wanted to take communion. And he goes, so does that mean that I just have to believe that he said these things to take communion? And I said, no, nah, I think there's a little bit more than that. It's more than just saying that he said these things, because you understand, if he just said it, and that's all you believe, then he's just a good teacher, but if you believe he did these things, then he's Lord. That changes everything. And I remember he had tears in his eyes. And he goes, the price is so high for me. The price is so high. Because he was talking about his family and how they would probably turn their back on him if this was something that he actually participated in, was a communion, taking the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And I told him, Jonathan, you have to know, man, Jesus talked about you. He talked about you years ago, about somebody who would have to actually turn their back on their family to follow him. And I said, I think it's precious to his heart that you're thinking this. And so we went to lunch, and I sat across from him. And I remember talking to him and going, okay, tell me where you are with Jesus. And he's going, okay, great teacher. Obviously, he taught the truth. I believe in what he's saying. But this resurrection thing, man, I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around this. And I went, yeah, I know. And he goes, no, you don't know. No, you don't know. He goes, you were raised in the church from the time you were a little bitty. 
you knew to say, who's Jesus? Jesus died on the cross and was rose again for me. It is rote for you. And I'm telling you, it's insane. You're telling me a guy died and was buried for three days, and then he got up and walked around again? That's crazy. And I remember thinking, you know, it is. It is. It's crazy. Don't we need that perspective? Don't those of us who are raised in the church that throw those, let those words roll off our tongue, have to remember what we're talking about? This is unbelievable. It's amazing. And he felt like we made light of it the way we just said it. A week later, Jonathan called me. He was baptized into Christ because he had to decide Jesus is Lord. He had to make this decision. He stood at the tomb, and he watched it empty, and he had to look at it and finally go, okay, why is it empty? And finally came to the conclusion of going, it has to be because Jesus was raised from the dead. He said, I believe the cross. This was the interesting thing with him before. As he would say, he said, you need to know, I, under, I believe the cross. I believe he loves me. I believe he would be willing to die for me. I can believe any of that, but I have a hard time with this resurrection. That was the thing that changed it, though. Right? You can go to the cross and go, there's love. But if you go to the tomb, it's Lord. It's different. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not diminishing the cross. It's huge. But without the resurrection, it's a teacher who died. But we have a resurrection, and that changes everything. And through that, Jesus demands lordship. He says, you don't get to just say, yes, he was a teacher, yes, he died, and yes, he was raised from the dead, and that's nice, and I'd like to sprinkle a little bit of that on my life. You don't get to do that. you got to make a decision. If he's Lord, then it changes everything for me. He's deserving of my whole life in every way. If I believe he rose, then I must believe he's Lord, and if I believe he's Lord, then I must believe that he rose, and then I owe him everything, everything. Those who are confused and in doubt that linger at the tomb and look, I encourage you, if that's where you are, stay there. Seek the Lord. Look at that empty tomb and seek the Lord. There are others that gather around the empty tomb too. It's not just those who have doubts and confusion. There's also the broken and the shattered. And that might have been who Mary was that morning is one who said, I am so broken, I am so sad, I can't believe that this has happened. This has wrecked my life, this has wrecked everything that I believe in. I'm in such pain, I don't know where else to go. And so she stayed and she lingered at the tomb. This is the part where you may have found yourself at some point too. Where is he? I'm hurting, where's God? I've been broken, I've been shattered. Why is this happening? Where's Jesus when I suffer, when I go through these difficult times? The brokenhearted, they end up at the tomb too, looking at the empty space, trying to decide what does this mean? I imagine her broken heart had so much to do with the expectations that she had for him. I expect my Jesus to go and do so much more. There's so much more that he can do. He healed me. There are many other people who need to be healed. Why is he not here doing that? 
There's, we're being oppressed. We're being a hurt, hurt spiritually. We're being hurt politically. We're being hurt physically. And you're gone. Where are you? Why are you gone when we hurt? The shattered gather around the empty tomb as well. Last week in that, we talked about how Jesus wept over his people. This week, his people weep over him, going, where is he? Everything that I thought he would do, I never thought he would disappear. I never thought he would abandon us. I never thought he'd be in a place where I can't find him. Maybe that's why she wept. And the amazing thing with it is you come to find out that he's right there next to her. Her focus is on the empty tomb, and she sees that he's not there. Meanwhile, he stands right next to her. Is that not our story? How often have you been in that place where you've been hurt so bad, and you got too many tears in your eyes that you can't see the resurrected living Savior next to you actually in power moving things and having things happen? How many times have we been in that spot where we're going, where are you, where are you, where are you? And he goes, I'm right here next to you. I'm not in that tomb. I'm alive. And I'm right here next to you. It's a, it's, you know, it makes perfect sense that she didn't recognize him. I wonder if maybe her focus didn't go to him because she's so intently. It says she's looking down into that. And you need to know a tomb was in such a way that the, the opening would be small. It'd probably be three or four feet off the ground. She had to be bending down and looking in there. And she's weeping and she's trying to figure this out. Meanwhile, he's right here. Maybe he changed so much that she wasn't able to notice him at first because it says she thought he was a gardener at some point. But, you know, that makes sense because when things that are so shattered and broken get put back together by God, even better than they were originally, we don't often see it and we don't recognize it. We don't know how he's at work. So she's looking inside that tomb and she's missed that he's right near next to her. Shattered people, they gather outside the tomb. They linger there too. They seek Jesus at that place. I want to tell you, I had a, man, I had a rough week and it was, it, that, I, that I saw. It wasn't my rough week. It was someone else's. But I got to experience it. Um, this week I had a good friend in Austin uh, who lost his 15-year-old son. He had a son that was at a birthday party and he was on an ATV and he flipped it. And it broke his neck and he died that quick. And this was a guy that I had been in Bible studies with and we had taught people for a long time together. His name's Rob and he's this great big huge guy. This devoted follower of Jesus and his son was too. His 15-year-old son was the one at school who led the Bible studies. He was the one that had Bible studies in his home and he's inviting students from his school to come. Just a few days before he passed away, his Bible study, Ignite, was at their home, and there were 41 high school kids there, and they're studying the scriptures together, and he's leading it. And he had this journal filled with sermons. A 15-year-old already playing his sermons. He had been all over the world on mission trips, devoted himself to telling people about Christ. He was bold in the way that he would say it. For a 15-year-old kid, he would talk to anybody about Jesus. Anybody. He was this amazing kid, and he's gone just like that. And I went to his memorial service, and there were 2,000 people there, and his mother and his father and his two older sisters stood up on stage, all gathered around the podium, and they pointed at the empty tomb. They worshiped a mother and a father who lost their baby 
and they have their hands up, and they're singing this song, though you slay me, I will still bless you. Though you take from me, you're all that I need. And the only reason people are able to stand there and worship in that sort of loss is because of that empty tomb. That's the only reason. And they stood there and they pointed at it as they told all these young people, you need to know what Christ means to us. We don't just say this to make us feel better in the fact that we lost our child. We say this because it's true. There's a tomb and it's empty. And because it's empty, we're okay. We're shattered. We're broken. But we're going to be okay because Jesus is not in that tomb and our son's not going to be in that tomb either. You're pointing to that place. In that emptiness, shattered people, they gather around. So many people were saying about that young man, Caden, man, why did God have to take him? He was so gifted. He was so bold. He was so powerful. We all knew he had great things in his future. He was going to tell people about Christ. He was going to preach these sermons that were in his journal. He was going to do all of this. It took him too soon. He wasn't able to accomplish all of that. That's the same thing they said about Jesus. Only three years? That's probably why she wept at the tomb. Why'd you take him? There was more to be done. Jesus could have healed more people. He could have preached to more people. He could have done more. You go, oh, you're missing the point. Through his death and his resurrection, more will come. More will come. Same thing happened with Caden. Caden passed away. Then The next week at his uh, Bible study, 400 kids showed up at his house. They got a tent. There's kids everywhere out there. 17 people have been brought to Christ and been baptized since then. How does that happen? Because there's an empty tomb. If there's no empty tomb, there's nothing to point at. We are to be a pitied people. Because when we lose someone, there's nothing for us to hope in. But instead, you have a family, and you have all these kids, and you have these teens, and they're all pointing to an empty tomb, and they're going, there, there's the answer. The fact that it's empty, he's here because he's not there in that tomb. And that means everything. Nothing in that tomb means everything for us. And that's what happens at the tomb. If you linger, if you'll abide there, if you'll wait, you'll see the resurrected Christ. That's where he'll be. You look at emptiness and you will find complete fulfillment. That's what's neat is he ends up right next to her, and he asks her, Jesus asks Mary, why are you crying? What are you looking for? And you need to know, that's not just this question because Jesus is confused. What are you looking for? That is Jesus saying, what kind of Savior are you looking for? What are you looking for? You're looking for either somebody who couldn't die or maybe somebody who couldn't be raised. Because here's the deal, I can do both. I can love you enough to die, and I can be powerful enough to be raised. I am lion and lamb. Both of those things. And so she says this word, and I don't know if you've noticed this before, but in, in the, the reading that we had, she turns, and when she recognizes him, she doesn't say rabbi. Rabbi is a standard name for a teacher. She says rabbi. You know what that means? My great teacher. That's when she believes. That's when she understands. You go, you're not just a teacher. See, that's what Jonathan struggled with. My friend Jonathan looked, and he said, well, he's a teacher, and he's a good teacher, and he says what's true, and all of that, but is he Lord? 
That's the question. And she gets to look, and she goes, oh, my great teacher. That's the phrase of ownership. You're not just a rabbi. You're my rabbi. You are my great teacher above all others, the one who changed everything. That's when she can believe. And it's so amazing because all of this, just like everything Jesus did is he turned it upside down, right? It's also counterintuitive to the way that the, the world works. Is at the, end, at the empty tomb, at this emptiness, she finds all the answers. There's nothing in there. That's where all the answers are, is that there's nothing in there. At this place of death, that's where we find life. This place of emptiness, this is where we find fulfillment. We look for new beginnings at this ultimate place of endings. This place of mourning then turns into this place of dancing. It's at the tomb where we find power. That's the lion. We talked last week about the lamb. Jesus coming as the lamb. They didn't understand. This is when he came in on lamb selection day. The lamb who laid down his life. But it's the lion who burst forth from the tomb. That's where the power was on display. If you want to see the love, go to the cross. You want to see the Lord, you go to the tomb. Because it's empty. He's not there. This is where you find life and Lord. It's in that empty tomb that she was able to find eternal life, and we do too. It's where my friend Jonathan was looking. It's where my friend Rob was pointing at the loss of his son. Don't forget the tomb is empty. That changes everything for my son. It redeems everything. You know, it redeems this other story that is very similar about a garden. Because Mary finds herself here in this garden. Let me tell you another story about a garden. There was another woman. Her name was Eve. And she bore witness to something in the garden too. And there was a gardener. And it was our Heavenly Father because he's the one that created the garden. And he made everything happen. And this woman who stood there at the beginning, she was witness to our fall. She saw when we lost everything. She was part of it. But we were all part of it. It's when we fell. And she saw when death entered a world where it was not supposed to be. She was witness to the gardener saying, now this world contains death. There will be death now. But she was also witness to a promise. But there's going to come a time where one that will be born of a woman will end up crushing the power that death has on us. We're still going to experience death, but it has no power anymore. It is not our final place. It's not where we all end up. There will come a time where there is an empty tomb. And she bore witness to that too. And so this lady in the garden who witnessed that, now it's all redeemed with this woman in the garden who saw the resurrected Christ. And we got some of Eden back. We got some of the way it was supposed to be because here's the deal. We were never supposed to experience death. That was not the plan. My friend was not supposed to stand in front of the casket of his 15-year-old son. We were not supposed to say goodbye to our loved ones. We were not supposed to end up there. The world got broken and death entered. But here's the part we celebrate today. That is not where we end up. That's not the end of the story. Yeah, Jesus was in that tomb, but he's not anymore. He's not. 
that tomb still is empty. And because of that, it changes everything for us. He's not in there. He doesn't belong in there, and neither do we. And we won't be. That won't be our final place. This is why we sing. This is why we praise. This is why we can't ever make a small deal out of this. we got to make a big deal out of this. Because of those of us that are in confusion, and if you're trying to figure out, and you're going, confusion and doubt, and I don't know if I can believe this, I encourage you, linger at the tomb. See if you see the resurrected Savior. For those of us that are shattered and hurting and trying to find out where he is, I encourage you, linger there at this tomb. Seek the Lord here at this place. He will show up. And you will see the resurrected God. You will see him in power. You will see him at work through his people. You will see the way that he will reach out to you, and he'll call your name just like he did Mary. And you have the option to go, yeah, this is it. He's Lord. The resurrection happened, and he's Lord. And he's my special master teacher, Rabbi Nee. Stand with me. We're going to close out in prayer, and then we're going to... We're going to sing for a while. We need to sing and we need to celebrate this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that this is not just an idea and this is not just something that is an old myth that we tell ourselves to make ourselves feel better. This is real. This is true. This is what happened. Our God was dead and then he was resurrected from the grave. We thank you, Lord, that you rolled away the stone. We thank you that there were witnesses who saw him, that there were uh, the disciples that Mary saw. We thank you that she lingered there at the tomb and saw him. We thank you the disciples saw him. We thank you that over 500 witnesses saw him alive. We thank you that we've seen the resurrected Savior and the work that he's done in our lives, the way that we've been redeemed, that we see him in each other, that we see him when we lift up songs of praise, when we read the scriptures, when we live out our lives. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that reminds us to live into that and who we are. And so, Lord, accept our praise and our celebration in the name of the resurrected Jesus. And the church said, amen.